the thing that we have to understand as writers is that at the end of the day, somebody has to do this. Like somebody has to like read this, but it's like, understand that at the end of the day, somebody, it has to be possible for somebody to say this speech, draw this scene. Like working so closely with artists too. Being like, I've just learned, oh, maybe I'll write a little differently knowing that somebody has to, like being in constant communication with an artist. Welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising Black, Indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Dozalanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura-Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Heron Atkins. He is a Black writer currently working freelance. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Yes. Hello, Yuki. Hi, 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 Ray. Hi. Hey, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> good to meet y'all. So I'm Heron. I originally grew up uh, in Detroit, Michigan, and I started this writing thing like when I was really young. I was writing like uh, like really bad poetry and like short stories. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I eventually got into uh, this is a very roundabout journey to, to, to animation, but I got into theater in high school and so I found acting and I had decided that if I wanted to go to college, I couldn't do like acting and writing. I had to choose one, um, which is so dumb, but I went straight into <laughs> acting uh, and I went to Carnegie Mellon University for musical theater. And while I was there, I ended up writing a couple plays and people responded to them. So I was like, oh, this might be, this might be something. Uh, so then I graduated <laughs> from college and then immediately moved to New York and started writing plays. And then because of this playwrights group I was in in New York, somebody recommended me for a TV fellowship. And then in this TV fellowship, I met my Michael Rodriguez, who I know was on the podcast and y'all know, he's awesome. And he did, yeah, yeah, he did the Sesame program. uh, And he was like, you should just do this. Like, just do it. I don't know if you love, if you like kids TV, I don't know if you like animation, but you should do this. Like, it's just a great way to get your foot into the industry and just like the best people you'll ever meet. And he was right. And it changed my life. So I did that program. And that's, that's how I got into animation. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a cool journey. From there, I started freelancing on a few different things, a few things like Caillou, uh, worked with Wild Brain Spark out of the UK. And that was really cool. Worked on Sesame Street for a little bit. Uh, and then I got my first staff gig on Craig of the Creek. And that kind of brought me up to, to now. way we like to start off on straight ahead is by playing a little game called in between Ooh. we're going to give you two similar questions and then you have to choose in between the two of them and then let us know why great cool cool i'll start us off with the first one would you rather have yugi's dual skills from Yu-Gi-Oh or ash's trainer skills from pokemon oh my god this is so hard <laughs> um, <laughs> damn. Oh okay honestly i will go with ash and here's why because i really? think yes because i was gonna say i was gonna say yugi but there is something about the whole mystical like it's kind of possession he's, he's kind of possessed by by the, the plus like you know what i mean because there's yugi and there's yugi is it yugi and then yugi no yugi oh isn't the no, the name yami. 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 yami yugi or yes. his name is atem or whatever yeah. It's been yeah. a while, y'all. But I just, it's now that good. I think about it, that might be a lot to live with. I mean, there are certain circumstances <laughs> in life where you want 
something to come in and help you out and like kick some ass. But like, I don't know. I don't know if I constantly <laughs> want the threat of like possession. Um, also like Ash, like, I don't know. He's so sweet and he's so kind and caring for these as caring as you can be keeping like animals in a ball <laughs> and, 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 and like, you know, making the fight. But you know, he was like such a great, such a great tra- trainer. And like, I don't know. I thought, I thought he'd be a, a, a great, like, um, he could keep animals alive <laughs> and, <laughs> and and care for them. And I feel like that's a trait I would love to have. I feel like I might, uh, I don't have any pets and I feel like uh, they wouldn't do well with me, but <laughs> oh. <laughs> with Ash, they would. I, I feel like Ash has definitely become a better character as the series progressed, but in the beginning, mm. he was a little shit stain. <laughs> are oh. we talking about like season one Ash or like, what are we talking no, about? I guess, I guess general Ash, it can be like general a mixture Ash. of all of them. Just like, okay. but yeah, but in the beginning, Ash was a little shit stain. I kind of love it. Lady series, he got a lot better. <laughs> I mean, he's like 11, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah which is, I think that's sense, fine. Still. <laughs> he's learning. He's growing. And he grows over the course of the series. Yeah, so. he grows from, from like 10 to 11 and that's it. <laughs> yes, that's it. But emotionally, emotionally, he grows no. decades. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> All right, Yuki, what about you? I mean, I think uh, Heron brings up some really good points, especially like I really like the the story of Ash because he like doesn't win the championship right away. He like he really like he got to the league, right? Pokemon League. And then he didn't win. And I thought Mm -hmm. that like that's so interesting to me, especially like as a kid's show, right? Like Pokemon like, he did all this stuff, he fought all these battles, he's trying to be the very best that no one ever was, and, like, then he didn't do it. He didn't do yeah. it for, like, 20 years <laughs> in our time, not in Pokemon time. He finally won, and I think that's, like, really cool. I don't know, like, the, the payoff of Ash trying all those years yeah. is, like, ah, mm. oh, that's so cool to me. And, like, the idea of having a dream that you want so bad that you, like, keep pursuing it. I think that's really cool. Like, apart from obviously his like Pokemon skills, he's not actually like a very good trainer at first. Eventually, he kind of gets there. But <laughs> I love that Yuki. I, I think I never really thought about Pokemon as a story of resilience, but like it is, and like yeah, falling they're, they're and getting back is. up. Like he's like eleven like, forever, trying. right? But <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I love that. Yeah. How about you, Ray? Okay. See the, the okay when I think about it. Okay, if I want to be, if I want to have Yugi's dual skills or Ash's trainer skills, right? Ash is a terrible trainer. <laughs> he he he's only bad. what, he's what not is good. it? He only ever caught like eighty out of like the six hundred Pokemon that are out there, so he doesn't know how to catch Pokemon, which is like the moment the the point of the game. He forgets type Pokemon typing all the time. Like he had he had his Pikachu uh, lose to like like a trainer's beginner Snivy. Like I don't know how you let that happen. Like. <laughs> like I know, like he his battle style, his his trainer style, like he's very creative in the the way he Pokemon battles. That's why he wins. Mm. It's not because yeah. he knows good typing. It's like, oh, I'm just gonna uh freaking thunderbolt the sprinklers, and that's how I'm gonna defeat the Onyx. <laughs> yeah, Brock. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So well, I kind of love that. <laughs> yeah, resourceful. And then Yugi's is actually like, well, again, it's not actually Yugi. It's Yami or the Pharaoh, but like. Like, I would love the ability to grow taller and more handsome and, like, just be, like, a badass, badass duelist and, like, win all the time, you know? 
But, oh, you're right. Taller and but, more handsome. Mm. When I really boil it down, do I want to be a duelist in the world of like Yu-Gi-Oh with Yu-Gi's mm-hmm. dual skills, or do I want to be a trainer in the world of Pokemon with Ash's shitty trainer skills? And honestly, the world of Pokemon <laughs> is like more appealing to me. <laughs> the world of Yu-Gi-Oh was cutthroat. They kidnapped yeah. that man's granddaddy. They kidnapped yeah. him. And like there was a lot it going sent on. It's dark. Realm. <laughs> yeah. Season one gets dark. dark. Yeah. <laughs> I season zero is darker. Have you ever seen season zero? No, I haven't. I haven't. Mm. When did they stop Yu-Gi-Oh? It's still going. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. yeah. New seasons, like uh what? not not with Yugi, but like okay. different pro tags and stuff. Yeah. All right. Final question. Would you rather have Vi's Hextech Gauntlets from Arcane? Or Syndrome Super Bands from The Incredibles? Ooh. Mmm. 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 Yeah? <laughs> remind me again, remind me again what the Super Bands do. Um, I think they're the ones that he uses to, like, uh, you know, stop people, like, levitate stuff. Yes, right. I yeah, take that. Yeah, he he controls everything basically. Like I think his bands is also what helps him to like have his fly boots and stuff, and like control the big monster, the big monster before he loses control. Yeah, I would. I do that. <laughs> yeah, that one. That's what I want. I want to levitate things. Nice. I want to control people. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what I want. <laughs> okay. No, that's cool. Yeah. Nah, I'm right there with you, mainly because I actually mm, okay. haven't seen Arcane yet, because I'm mm-hmm. not really a big video game person, so, like, I don't... You don't, don't have to that's know the, anything about that's the, the game. Legends, right? Okay, yeah. Yes, you don't. I never played it. It's it absolutely standalone. It's beautiful, okay. great story, good characters. I'll, I'll give it a watch, because it yeah. looks honestly really stunning. I, I want to watch, I just haven't had the chance to, but... Yeah, I think I think definitely Syndrome's, like, uh, super bands are, are really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, being able to, like, paralyze, stop people, levitate, and, yeah, get to be, like, a cool hero that gets to do shit. It's just, like, I just won't do the villain shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, it, like, his, his you know, tagline of, like, when, when everybody's super, nobody will be. But I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, but, like, then you could grab stuff off the wall or just, like, you know, you're lazy, so you just sit at home and do do stuff, but, like, you have your technology. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, well, see, that's that's the thing. I'll just keep it to myself. Like, I'll still stay super. Everybody else can still be regular. I'm not going to share my <laughs> technology. <laughs> oh, selfish. <laughs> I see. I see. Oh, I see. Okay. I see what Kid Ray was on the playground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're truly exposing yourself. <laughs> I think personally, I would rather have the gauntlets. I just think, like stylistically, they look super cool. Yeah, I don't know. They just like look so, like aesthetic, like stunning. The steampunk, mm-hmm. but like magic aesthetic. I love it. Yeah, and they're just like so like cartoonishly big. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I love it. Everything about them. See, I think that's why I like the super benzo because it feels kind of like the iPhone in a sense. Mm, like it's yes. just more sleek and slim, and like not like as like, yeah, it'll, it'll go with everything. Like I don't have to like try to mm, like. That's true. I feel like the other ones are just really cumbersome. 
Yeah. <laughs> and like, if you want to pack them for a trip, where do you put them? Like, I just think it would be a, it would be a lot. <laughs> Uh, how how heavy are they? Do you think? Because like I feel like you would get some serious gains like on on your <laughs> on on your arms like lugging that around. They're probably pretty heavy. I mean, Faya is like a fighter uh, in the first place, mm-hmm. so yeah. she has muscle already. But like, I mean, it's kind of like cartoon rules or like rule of cool, right? Like she can pick yeah. them up because it looks cool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Realistically, <laughs> it would be like way too heavy to do anything with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if they have some kind of like anti-gravity like technology in them where it's like they are Could big, be. they are heavy, but like once you pick them, there's something on the inside that makes them feel lighter. But like, yeah, I don't know. the magic, like, yeah, magic, like magic. mumbo jumbo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God, I love that show. I wish I envy you, Ray. I wish I could watch it again, like from like from the beginning and like have not seen it. It's so beautiful. It's so good. All right, man. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll I'll give it a watch. I'll I'll, I'll put it on my list. Do it. Got to. <laughs> well, anyways, man. Uh, thanks so much for playing in between with us. So fun. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I've learned so much about both of you. <laughs> <laughs> about ourselves. Uh, about you. <laughs> hopefully, good things. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> And to our audience, if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, send us a message either on Twitter or Instagram at straightaheadap, or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. Karen, once again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. Yeah, man. Uh, So yeah, let's start off by uh, asking you, uh, could you tell us how you got your start working in the animation industry? Yes. Okay. So I was telling you a little bit before, but I started as a playwright and I really did not think that I was going to be writing for animation. I uh, got into a fellowship at the WGA called the Made in New York uh, Writers Room, which is a TV fellowship. It was my first experience writing any kind of TV. And that was really super cool because TV as a whole, I felt has been like a it's like a castle in the sky kind of thing, like a thing that like I grew up mm. being like, you know, I love this, love this stuff, both kids and, and regular TV. But it felt very much like, mm. how do you get to that? Like how, like, mm. first of all, the realization yeah. that, oh, people make this stuff, like people sit in a room and come up with this stuff and like and write this yeah. stuff and then it gets shot. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then like on a practical level, like I, when I got, you know, out to New York after school, it's like, how do you get there? I, I learned a lot very early on about, and and I wonder if it's the same for writers. I feel like it, ha- or for for artists, I feel like it has to be. But a lot of this industry is like about who you know, like and about knowing mm-hmm. other writers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And like I feel like we all get each other work. Like we all like we all put each other on, which is really cool. But that's exactly what happened. I was in this playwrights group, and my friend Daniel, who's an amazing playwright told me about the Made in New York Writers Room, and he was like, "You should apply." So I did, got in, and then from there, I met Michael Rodriguez who was like, you should do the Sesame Fellowship because he had just done it before the WGA Fellowship mm. and just raved mm-hmm. about it throughout the whole thing. And like, it sounded magical and, and wonderful. And the thought of writing for kids TV, like, uh, I didn't think, I didn't know it was going to excite me the way that it did. Um, yeah. But the more I heard about uh-huh. it, the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah. So I, I ended up writing a I was very green, y'all. Like green, green, green. Like the what I the way that I got into the WGA fellowship was that I took a play of mine and adapted it into a pilot that was ninety pages long, which was ridiculous. <gasps> like ninety. That's, that's, 
insane. And so I, I had to cut it way down. I got it to like 70 and they somehow let me into that program. And then for the Sesame Fellowship, I wrote this pilot about a magical barbershop and that got me into, into the Sesame Fellowship. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, it was, it was fun. And then during the Sesame Fellowship, I wrote another pilot. Everybody gets to write a pilot during the fellowship. Uh, I wrote a pilot that then got me an agent upon moving out of the fellowship. And then the fellowship in general got me um, a bunch of meetings. It's the, the most incredible fellowship. We could talk about it more later if, if we want to. But yeah. it got me a bunch of meetings at like Disney, Cartoon Network, Wild Brain Spark, a bunch of really great companies. Uh, so I started freelancing like pretty quickly after the program and Mm. Oh, wow. And 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 that's how that's how it happened. Oh man, that's really cool. And again, yeah. like yeah, it's great to like yeah, connections help you go from gig to gig cuz yeah, it is very much the same thing in the artist world like we hype each other up if uh we try to pass on along names. And yeah, I'm glad that that's like consistent within the writer's field as well. Yeah. Uh, you've you kind of mentioned already like yeah, Sesame Street Caillou. How has it been kind of freelancing being a freelance writer compared to like uh because you were actually also uh on a staff position on craig of the creek like, yeah how did those two kind of experiences differ from one another from being a staff writer to a f- and a freelancer they were so different they were so different especially because a lot of the first the uh, uh freelance stuff that i did in the beginning were a lot of like short form like five minute episodes for things like all the caillou mm-hmm. stuff i did was like five minutes Initially, I wrote for a specific segment of Sesame um, with Elmo and his uh, new pet Tango, his pet dog Tango, which is super cute. But there were these oh. five minute segments where they would like uh, solve mysteries around Sesame Street together. And so my introduction into into freelance writing was all very short form. And then uh, I did a couple of longer form, 11 minute episodes. And that mm. was a, a different experience, like a, a little bit of a different animal. But all of that was completely different from working on Craig because on Craig, it was my first time really be being in a writer's room. Um, I was working mm. solo on all the freelance stuff. So I would like have a conversation with uh, the head writer, have like a meeting uh, and then like get the show Bible and get like whatever the premises for the episodes were if I wasn't coming up with them myself. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we'd have a meeting about that. They'd be like, you know, do you jive with the material? And I'd say, yeah, go away. I just write it all in a vacuum by myself. But on Craig, mm. we're writing everything together. So mm. we had a room of, it was just me and one other staff writer. Shout out to Lorraine DeGraff and Wright. Love her. <laughs> she was the other staff oh. writer with me and she was awesome uh but then we had the two head writers Memory mm-hmm. and ben levin uh who are awesome and they were in the writer's room with us along with three other writers and we would come up with like story ideas together we would brainstorm together we would create like beat documents like where we would kind of be like oh this this is the story in like so many beats uh and then mm-hmm. me and lorraine would go mm-hmm. off to, and we would depart from the group and like create the premises the outlines so it just was a more of a collaborative thing than working on freelance stuff because it was very much solo versus being with a group. Mm-hmm. The other huge difference was that I had no interaction with the art team on any of the freelance stuff that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, like I saw, mm-hmm. like I, I was able to see the Bible for things so I could see like um, some character stuff, character models and like some BGs, like some background stuff. But I yeah. wouldn't have like conversations with like storyboard artists and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm completely different experience on Craig, like an extremely collaborative process for, so we would break the story in the writer's room with just the writers. Mm -hmm. 
And just for clarity, breaking the story, I know y'all know, but for our audience, <laughs> breaking the story, yeah. just like co- coming up with, you know, what what the, the story of the episode is. And then we would put that in a premise document, um, which would be a page and a half a document. And then we would uh, go off and do an outline, which would be like a three page document, three to four page document. That's a little bit more specific, would have some dialogue in it. And then we would hand that off to the storyboard artist. Mm-hmm. And that was a like a two hour meeting where we just read through the outline and then immediately ask the storyboard artists, like if they had any like immediate impressions, immediate questions sometimes, which this was so cool to me. You know, I was very green. <laughs> I knew nothing about like how storyboard artists work and obviously everybody works differently, but they would be sketching mm-hmm. stuff while we're reading. And so like while, when we're done, they're like showing us stuff and I'm like, it's crazy that y'all can work this fast, like this efficiently. Like, I don't know, like, and just the talent was off the charts on Craig. Mm, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so we would have that meeting. And then after that, they would get a week to go draw up the storyboards, write the storyboards, and then bring them back, uh, do a pitch. And then after the pitch, we would do a four hour meeting with the storyboard artists where we're just like going through every single scene, every single panel and punching it mm-hmm. up and being like, and talking a little bit about art. That wasn't my forte. So like, I was always like, this looks beautiful to me. I don't know what you could change, but like, <laughs> obviously like they, you know, they, mm-hmm. the, the directors and the other artists like, you know, would, would work on that. And then me and Lorraine would just help to punch up jokes on every panel, punch up story stuff. Um, but it was so collaborative. And the, and of course the storyboard artists are also writing and also like punching up stuff. And so it just felt like, chilling like hanging out with people and like coming up with jokes mm-hmm. together um and it didn't mm-hmm. at a certain point once the the outline is written once it's given to the artist like everybody like writer versus art, like it all gets kind of blurred and we're all just like working to make the thing as 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 good as it can be yeah mm-hmm. so just having that collaborative experience was just so different than working in a vacuum mm-hmm. on, on freelance mm-hmm. stuff yeah do you kind of like prefer that where it's more collaborative because like Craig of the Creek is a board driven show. So uh, like you said, you guys are only writing page and a half and then like three to four pages as opposed yeah. to your uh, 70 to 90 page <laughs> uh, play. <laughs> yes. Do you prefer the short stuff? Like kind of like here's the key points. Uh, here's some jokes. And then uh, you guys kind of run with it. Or, or do you like kind of having control over like the whole story? You know... I think like my ideal, like hopefully whatever I work on next, like I definitely would work on more storyboard driven stuff, but I kind of mm-hmm. want to s- get the experience of staffing on a uh, script driven show because I yeah. think I would still get that. I think I would still get the collaborative feeling of being in a room and like pitching mm-hmm. with other writers. And then when I get assigned my specific episode, I go off and write that by myself and then bring it back to the room. So, I, and then yeah. so it kind of be the best of both worlds. But for mm-hmm. now, I think that I think, you know, what's awesome about being on a board driven thing is like for it it is a lot of work, like writing premises and outline documents, even though it's only like three to four pages, because there is something Mm -hmm. about being able to distill your big ideas down to a small like amount of time, Mm -hmm. you know, like, can can you get this huge idea onto three to four pages? Like sometimes that's that is uh, a skill. And so it takes time. But I do think that it takes less time than writing a full thing. And so <laughs> yeah, what being on a storyboard driven show, I think affords you is the time to clock in, <laughs> work with the team, you know, and on days where you aren't working on a premise or outline, you can write your own stuff. Like, and that's mm. always like great for writers because, and I'm sure it's uh, same for artists. Like you, you always need to be, especially for, you know, we just have such a uncontrollable 
and inconsistent job that like once your job ends, like you have to have a portfolio of things to continue to like pitch yourself to the industry. (laughs) So it's nice to have that extra time on a storyboard driven show where if you're not working on scripts for the show, you can work on your own stuff. So that was really cool. So I think really like that my answer to that is like, whatever I need personally, like if I'm in a place where I have like two really good ideas for personal samples or pitches I want to work on for my own stuff, then it might be good to be working on a storyboard driven show because I have that extra time to like work on my stuff. It's just a little Mm -hmm. bit harder to do if I'm on a script driven thing. Mm -hmm. But I'll check back in with y'all when I'm staffed on a script driven show and and tell y'all what I like more. I guess like one of the other things I kind of want to get into as well is you have also written plays that have been produced by various different theater companies. Could you tell us actually a little bit more about that? And obviously, like, you know, writing for theater has helped your writing for like, you know, TV. You know, what's funny is actually I think I've become a better even though I've written less plays since I've started writing for TV. What's interesting about this is that like since I've started writing for TV, I think it's made me a better playwright because the thing about hmm. plays is that it can be absolutely anything. You know, a play can be anything. And so I would kind of just write, if I was starting a play, I would just like go from a blank page to just like starting to type. And like, I would start a play without, I have a feeling, I have an emotion, I'd have maybe one scene in mind and I'd start from top to bottom, just like write the whole thing. Um, And however long it's Mm going to be is how long it's going to be. In TV, I have very specific guidelines that has caused me to have to have a real writing practice and have a real structure to my writing. And this is something I learned from Sesame, but taking something from premise document all the way to first and second draft, like it gives me, now I know how long it takes for me to write a story. And so now that I have that, I think that I would write, I have since written uh, two plays and I've never written so fast in my like I've never written a play prior to working in TV. I never wrote a play this fast. Mm-hmm. And this and this clearly. And so I think there is something about TV that has just allowed me to develop a better writing practice in general, no matter what I'm writing. Mm-hmm. But playwriting influenced my TV writing. Like at the end of the day, what I love about storytelling is that it's all storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what the medium mm-hmm. is, like there are obviously like structural differences. Um, different things are possible in TV versus film versus, you know, playwriting, you know, mm-hmm. but it's all storytelling. The tent poles of what makes a great story are the same. Um, what's mm-hmm. great about playwriting is that like, um, especially like coming from the acting world myself, like I got to interact with so many actors like on a on a personal level and I was able mm-hmm. to have them come to me and be like, or, or being in a, being in a rehearsal room for plays is so cool because it's all being created right in front of you and all and you're in rehearsal with actors every single day so you're constantly Mm -hmm. hearing how your words are coming across if it's Mm -hmm. having the impact you want them to have so you're constantly rewriting and you're able to have actors in on that process as collaborators Mm -hmm. and that really allowed me to to understand how actors work how actors think, you know, what makes a character compelling and attractive for an actor, hmm. understanding what is demanded of an actor from like, you know, the, the the thing that we have to understand as writers is that at the end of the day, somebody has to do this. Like somebody has to like read this. And I think so <laughs> yeah, we yeah. can't just, you know, sometimes we write these gauntlet of parts, which is great, but it's like, understand that at the end of the day, somebody, ha- it has to be possible for somebody to 
say this speech and like they you know in certain things you're draw like this oh, scene it, 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 yeah. draw this scene exactly like that's been that's another thing that i've that i that i learned on craig and like other things like working so closely with artists too being like i've just learned oh maybe i'll write a little differently knowing that somebody has to like being in constant communication <laughs> with an artist it's just yeah. like yeah like that that's the thing about playwriting that was cool is that working in a theater is so it's just so collaborative on a really personal level like you're really in the trenches with everybody and that and you really have to listen to each other and i think that has helped me a lot in in my in my tv journey mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is there like a different like way to approach writing for like a play versus like writing for tv because like for example like at least on an artist level like boarding for like a 2d show is way different than boarding for a 3d show there's different limits there's different parameters depending on the like also the type of show that it is is it kind of same thing when writing for tv and writing for theater is like there is there a different writing structure that you have to follow i think for tv there is a very specific if you're working in a room there is a very specific structure because uh at the end of the day we have to get certain deliverables to the studio to approve so like the documents need to be a certain length the the studio just has a certain way of historically of of green lighting things and and so we have to really play by those rules which makes perfect sense and and i actually like the the structure of that but i also think that personally as a writer sits down well i'll speak for myself like as i sit down you know as long as in tv as long as you get those deliver deliverables done um, then it kind of doesn't matter how you do them on your own, how you like work them out by yourself. As long as you mm-hmm. get the end product, what it needs to be, then like, cool. In playwriting, so I, I never like studied playwriting. Like, I feel like, I feel like I can say now that I've studied TV writing. I never really studied playwriting. I read a bunch of plays, but I never like went to school for playwriting and I never went to mm-hmm. like a program for playwriting. So, it, it just like was what it was for me. It just like was whatever, whatever came out. Like I would just sit down at the computer and just let it spill out. I never outlined anything. I never like did like a story doc before I moved into script. I always just like wrote the script. So that mm-hmm. is very different for me. I just, in, in one world, I didn't really have a structure. I have one now, but like in playwriting, I didn't, don't really have a structure or didn't really have a structure. And mm. in TV, I absolutely do. But you brought up something, you brought up another thought. I think that the mediums do just change the difference in the mediums and what's possible Mm -hmm. in the two mediums just change how you're going to approach a scene like on stage you can write a two-page monologue and just have uh, a character on stage just talking for five minutes you can't necessarily (laughs) i mean you could and it might be really cool but like in an animated like tv show like just having the camera pointed at one character for five minutes might be kind of you know boring (laughs) it could be very like meta and cool like you know but i think with that they would have us cut into several different shots like okay over the shoulder upshot profile cut back to it over the shoulder like yeah (laughs) yeah it just like you'd have to do you'd have to do different things or you go how can we accomplish the feeling of this two-page monologue in three sentences or in, you know what I mean? Or how can we get this exposition done with just shots instead of lines, you know? So you Mm -hmm. are, you, you know, instead of the character talking about the death of their grandmother, (laughs) sorry, hope this is a trigger warning, (laughs) but uh, the death of their grandmother, uh, or just like showing, you know, panning past, 
a, a family portrait, you know, on a piano, mm-hmm. like, you know, different things like that. I, I think it just changes the way you, you, you approach, uh, and, and you know, there are, there are pluses and minuses to, to both mediums mm-hmm. and what you can do. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Even, even the way like the actors, the animators, the artists approach the words, like, I feel like, cause I've, I've done a little bit of theater myself and like, I, when you're on stage, you really have to use your whole body to express the idea across to the entire audience. Like there isn't a lot of room, like, some actors can still be subtle, but there isn't a lot of room for subtlety on stage because no one's going to see your eye twitch yeah. like from from whoever has like the nosebleed seats. But like yeah. people can see like a little sniff or like a little eye twitch like in animation because like we're telling the audience focus on this specific bit. But yeah, there's there's still like this. It's definitely it's like super different, definitely like unique kind of seeing different approaches like how what you have to do to get the idea across. And like what mm-hmm. you're mentioning is like depending on the medium you uh there's a different way for you to approach to get your idea across on stage or on paper, on TV. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The next thing I kind of want to segue into is that you've talked about it. Like Michael recommended you to uh, apply uh, for the Sesame uh, workshop. You got the Sesame workshop. Can you talk to us about like that experience and how, like how that benefited you or how that helped you get to where you are now? Everybody go apply to the Sesame <laughs> Workshop. Really, the, Ses- <laughs> the Sesame Street Writers Room is an incredible program. There are a lot of diversity programs out there that I think pat themselves on the back for checking the boxes of having a diversity program, or you know, sometimes it feels like a photo op for the for the nah. company, or you know what I mean. It's like, look what we've done for these, you know, <laughs> chocolate chips, but like. <laughs> Um, the thing about the Sesame program is that they really practice what they preach. Mm. Their job is to introduce you to the world of kids TV and TV in general and to get you work, to 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 teach you how to write for this medium and to get you work. And mm. uh, what's amazing about it is that it's so open. When you apply, they take people from all, no matter what your experience is. I mean, it may be that you can't have like been a staff writer for a certain amount of time or something like that. But we had people Mm -hmm. who had written TV stuff before. We had people who had never written uh, a script before. We had people who had never, like I, you know, that was only my second TV pilot that I had written. But, you know, my my thing was playwriting. That's what I felt really comfortable in. But like they, they took novelists, they took... They took all all kinds of people. Um, And then they're like, we will teach you if you have a passion for this, we will teach you how to do it. And then we will get you work like that is that is the point Mm -hmm. of the program. And so it's structured like a writer's room where we all came in with uh, three ideas and then somebody, uh, not somebody, th- together, <laughs> we we decide which idea uh, uh, jives with the group. And then hopefully mm-hmm. you like that idea as well <laughs> that you've come up with. Hopefully you liked it because you pitched it. Uh, but then you mm-hmm. go ahead with that idea and you take it from premise to uh, first draft, second draft premise, first draft, second draft of an outline, and then first draft, second draft of um, uh, the actual script. And uh, the whole time, each step, every time you come into the room with a new draft of a thing, every, you're getting notes from everybody. So it feels like a writer's room in that people are helping you pitch and punch things up. People are saying, oh, why, why, you know, why don't you do this here? Or like, you know, or, oh, I didn't really understand this, which is so valuable to have a great diversity of of minds, like helping you to develop your mm-hmm. project. And then also 
every week they would bring in a showrunner or a producer or an agent who's also read all of our work, who's, you know, giving you notes, like very practical industry level notes on your work. <laughs> so not only are you getting industry level notes, you're also getting like notes from your fellow, uh, your fellows in your co- cohort. And you're getting notes from like the facilitator, which was at the time was Susan Kim. Uh, she's, she is just this awesome, awesome writer. And then also at the time we had Sophie Solomon, who was one of the facilitators and she's awesome. But you're getting all these notes from all these people and then you're ending up at the end of the program with a great new sample to like, and then they, the very last thing we do at the program is a meet and greet with like industry folks and they invite everybody. You got people from, um, not Silver Lake. That's a, that's a neighborhood in, in LA. Uh, <laughs> Silver Gate, Silver Gate Media, Netflix, Nickelodeon, Disney, like they invite all these people to meet you. Mm. The year that mm. we did it, it was 2020. So it was over Zoom. But like they they would they put you in a room with all these people and you get to talk about your projects. And then so at this big event, they give two development deals and then whoever gets it, their scripts, a uh, section of their scripts get read for all these industry folks. And then even after that, they send out all of our scripts, all the fellow scripts to this whole email list of pretty top tier industry folks. And they really mm-hmm. push us to have relationships with these people. So it doesn't feel like you're done with the fellowship and then you're sitting on the street with your new script being like, like how, you know what I mean? (laughs) You know, it's really focused on access and really like getting to those gatekeepers and really introducing us to them. And I just have never felt so supported by uh, a company in my life. It was really, really cool. That's absolutely amazing. Like that's amazing. How long is the program, by the way? I think it's eight to 10 weeks. Okay. Yeah. That's that's intense. That's that's great. It's quick. It that's the other thing is that it like it teaches you to turn around a script really fast. You know, it teaches you mm-hmm. to write quickly and not think too much about it. I mean, obviously think a lot about it, but not ruminate mm-hmm. too much on it or, you know, it's just about getting the work out there, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is so important. So, another thing I kind of want to ask you is that uh what are your future aspirations for yourself like in this industry? I want to make millions of dollars. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you chose um, the wrong career. <laughs> right, right. You know, my immediate my immediate goal is to be consistently staffed on projects that I really like um, mm-hmm. and be cultivating my own projects uh, while I'm doing that. You know, being able to like financially support myself consistently writing but also be working on my my, like dream projects you know so like that's my immediate Mm -hmm. goal um but then eventually i want to have a production company that is really centered on sci-fi and like poc writers who who work on like sci-fi and fantasy narratives because i really just want to i want to provide access to people i want to definitely be able to like fund and like do my own projects but i would love to 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 have a home for writers to be able to come and and get their stuff produced and get their stuff worked on and get their stuff and learn you know <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh i just really want to like provide a nice like fertile environment for for poc creatives yeah and i think that would be like film and tv that's like the that's like the the dream mm. That's great. I love that you're kind of putting a focus on helping uh, POC creators or giving a spotlight on that. And, you know, being POC yourself, like how does kind of like your own cultural background, like influence you and your writing? 
Oh, it's everything. <laughs> it's everything. I mean, I really write about Black and Brown and queer characters kind of struggling with identity and learning to own their authenticity as their superpower and um, learning that there's nothing wrong with them, <laughs> you know, and there's everything <laughs> right mm-hmm. with them. You know, mm-hmm. my uh, what really fuels my writing and excites me uh, about writing is uh, is really to like lift people out of repression. I think that like just, you know, growing up in Detroit in my in my community and I, and I this must be true for a lot of like POC communities, you know, but it's a very Detroit is a very black area, a gorgeous place and a, with with wonderful people. But there is a sort of dream deferredness <laughs> or, or, or was when I grew up there about uh, about a lot of things, you know, like, you know, obviously like at, this is for a lot a lot of writers, but like, you know, I Initially, my parents didn't look at, you know, especially my dad didn't look at this as like a viable, <laughs> like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, writing as a viable career. And like, mm-hmm. and that's not his fault. Like, he didn't see it. You know, he didn't see people like doing it. People who look like him, mm-hmm. who were from where, I, mm-hmm. where we're from, making it, you know, and his, he wanted me to be able to uh, feed myself and, you know, be able to pay my bills. And so, you know. And obviously, like, that's changing. We have a lot more, like, Black and POC and Indigenous writers and 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 people who are making it. Um, and that's important because, like, the community needs to see that. It really is, like, you know, as cliche as it sounds, representation does matter. You know, you really, mm. sometimes it takes to see it, to believe it, to know that you can do it. So, like, that in my writing, like, I just want to write the stories that... I loved seeing when I grew up, like sci-fi and fantasy narratives, but with, you know, POC characters and, and Black characters at the center um, and, and queer mm-hmm. characters, people who have my shared lived experience. Yeah, I just like my 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 big goal is just to have Black and, 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 and people of color get rid of these limiting beliefs that we have for ourselves that we have that our families have pressed upon us that me we may be the limitations we put upon ourselves and that the industry the, the industry or whatever but the world has placed upon us you know these mm-hmm. boxes that that they put us in like i'm really like i want my work to inspire people to blow that shit up you know like <laughs> blow up the box you know anything mm-hmm. that we want to do we can do and so I, I you know I really try to have like that's always in the in the forefront of my mind when I'm when I'm creating um, and when I'm writing mm-hmm. I think that was like really fortunate too that you got the Sesame Street workshop like in the way of what you were describing earlier that like sometimes there's these workshops or like internships or stuff like that where it's like okay here's your like eight week, you know, 12 week uh, job incubation here Will you write stuff and like then you're gone. And it's not really giving you like true connections or giving you that true, you know, boost up into like an industry position or giving you those connections and like taking that and like turning it around and wanting to do that for other people. It's like, I don't know, I feel like it's so important. And like we're seeing more of that slowly, but you know, <laughs> More people yeah. who experience this sort of kindness or like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, structural ways that we can boost these voices and like get them at industry level, the more stories that we can hear from them. Yeah, that's re- I think that's really cool. Like great aspiration. Thank you. And like, I don't know, I feel like 
I feel that what you just talked about, that kindness and that like giving back and paying it forward. I've mm-hmm. never felt that more than like in the kids and in animated industry, like writers and artists really look out for each other and really like, I like even this podcast, like y'all providing this platform is, is, is that, you know, <laughs> like that, that, mm-hmm. that it's so important, you know, to just, mm-hmm. even just to give people who have no window into this industry to have something like this, to be able to give people that, that, that peek in and be like, Oh, this is possible. And to see the variety. I mean, you scroll through Spotify. That's where I listen. You scroll through Spotify (laughs) and you see like everybody's different, like picture, like you're like, Oh my God, it's hard for you to find somebody who doesn't look like, you You know what I mean? Like, and, and what other, Mm -hmm. what, you know, like Mm -hmm. just having spaces like this is just so important. So thank you for the work that y'all do. Uh, thank, thank you. you. We appreciate that. Yeah. And thanks so much for joining us. I'm, I'm glad that you could be on and that like hopefully somebody sees your portrait and is like, oh, they look like me. <laughs> but before we get into our final question, where can our audience find you? And is there anything else you want to promote? Um, uh, You can find me on uh, Instagram at Heron underscore Alexander. I believe on Twitter. I'm not really on Twitter, but whatever. I'll just say it. Um, uh, at Atkins Heron, because um, I think Heron Atkins was taken. <laughs> and then I have a website. It's just www.heronatkins.com. Perfect. Awesome. Awesome. And as as we come to an end, uh, what final advice would you want to bestow on those that want to pursue a career in animation? From the writer's perspective, like, just write. Like, I just start. Just write and let people see it. I know that we can be perfectionists and I know that it's scary, but like the only way you're going to learn how to write is to do it. Like obviously read the books if you, if you can or if you want to. I think there's a lot that you can learn from books. There's a lot you can learn from, um, watching interviews with people that really inspires me. Like I love watching interviews with writers and creators who I admire um, and listening to their journey because you're going to realize that nobody, everybody's journey is so incredibly different and that's inspiring, but no, nothing's going to teach you how to write except writing. And you have to show people don't wait till, and Michael Rodriguez, he has had to say this to me before and, uh, and it's just so true. It's good enough, <laughs> you know, get it to good enough. And then like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not telling you to like, just put bullshit out there, you know, and like don't care about it. But at a certain point, you can only do so much by yourself. You know, you can only and, and you keeping your story and making your one script a- as great as it can be over the course of five years is not going to push the needle forward. Just start and then just show people. Um, I'll also say, like, there's a quote I love, which is uh, it is not your job to make sure that something is good. It is your job to make sure that it exists. And I think that Mm. is so true. We are not, you are not the best judge of if your work is good or not. So don't wait till it's good to to show it to people, to apply to fellowships, to, to, Mm. to, to do any of that contest, just finish it and get it out there. It's not your job to judge it. Mm-hmm. Let, let people are gonna do that anyway. You know, you'll never, you'll never. <laughs> I promise you one thing: you will never get your your script so good that nobody's gonna judge it. People will always have their opinions. So just write mm-hmm. it, just do it, just get it out there because we need it. Mm-hmm. That's great. Perfect that. advice. Yeah, absolutely love that quote. And if you audience member loved our guest today, Heron, thank you. Uh, please rate and follow us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at straightaheadap. 
Shout out to Michael Rodriguez for suggesting Heron as a guest. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcasts at gmail.com. We love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening, and thank you once again to our guest, who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks, y'all.